Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rant Media Podcast, where we analyze the news so that you don't have to. My name is Ahmed Baba, and I'm joined by my fellow co-founder, Adam A., and Rant's managing editor, Remy Carrero, is calling in. So today, we're going to cover Trump's whirlwind appearance at NATO, the Peter Strzok hearing, the separated migrant children, and Trump's Supreme Court pick. This is Rant Media. So let's just dive right into the NATO summit. So ahead of his meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin, President Trump attended the two-day NATO summit in Brussels, and let's just say it didn't really go very well. Uh, From accusing Germany of being a captive of Russia to repeating lies about NATO, Trump seemed like he was on a mission to undermine the U.S.-led liberal world order and upend 70 years of American diplomacy. So uh, what 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 do you guys think of this? Well, I think that there was one person who was happier than anybody else, and he's sitting in the Kremlin right now. I mean, every single goal that Putin, one of his major goals, his longstanding major goals, has been the destabilization of NATO. And Trump went in there like a raging bull and offended the hell out of our allies at the most important NATO meeting of the year. From saying that Germany is owned by Russia, which is an ironic bit of projection if I've ever seen one, (laughs) to apparently making these unrealistic demands that NATO countries not only meet their 2% spending goals, but up that to 4%, which also undermines his entire uh, lie that NATO isn't putting enough into the pot. As, as if that th- there is some sort of dues that NATO pays. That's not how it works. It's your defense budget. And, and he you know, spent the week talking about how the United States has been getting fleeced and how, um, how uh, the European, al- European allies owe us so much money. It's just a fundamental or, or willful misrepresentation about how NATO works. And the fact that he's been president for over a year and either doesn't understand it or is still lying about it is a pretty disturbing thing. I mean, the thing that really kind of stands out to me with this, other than the whole, like, our president's a crazy man thing, that which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, is exactly what you said, Adam. It's so unbelievably clear that our president does not have American interests at heart when he's abroad or when he's at home. Because NATO was founded 70 years ago to promote shared values of democracy and uphold the common security of the rest. And undermining it doesn't benefit the United States. It doesn't benefit our international standing. It sure as hell does not benefit our diplomatic relations. But it does, however, benefit exactly who you said, Vladimir Putin, and his goals to weaken Western alliances, to undermine U.S.-led liberal democratic order, and many other things that make it so clear where exactly our president hopes to benefit and who he does not hope to benefit. 100% true, Remy. I mean, you and Adam both just really, uh, really pin this down. I mean, Donald Trump is not looking out for America's interests. He's out there accomplishing Vladimir Putin's goals, checking things off the checklist while screaming America first, and while his base says MAGA. Now, I mean, he either, like like you said, has a complete misunderstanding of what NATO is, as if it's some kind of burdensome thing in which we're not getting paid debts. That's not how this works. It's created, uh, like you touched on, Remy, um, it was created after World War II in order for us to keep a peaceful Europe. 
and to maintain Western dominance. I mean, what we get back is uh, we hold all the power, you know, Germany, uh, you know, disarmed. I mean, we, after NATO was created, we ended up having full control of the West. It was crafted by the United States. We're su- we are supposed to be giving a disproportionate amount. And he misrepresented uh, what NATO is in general, its effectiveness, and then lied. Let's just touch on some of the lies he said. I mean, he said uh, NATO's commitment or the U.S. commitment is 4.2%. Just pulled the number out of, out of thin air, apparently, because the real number is at 3.58%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he... Which is obvious. It's lower than the new goal that he set for everybody else. <laughs> exactly. And he's saying, he's, yeah, and just, and after the, you know, he had a press conference that was just completely trying to change his tune. I mean, he said, uh, he still repeated the same lies, though, that, oh, uh, Germany is, let's just dive a little bit into that Germany's captive of Russia thing. Uh, I mean, the point he's trying to make is, he said, oh, Germany, I mean, they get all the natural gas from Russia. I mean, just look, uh, they're captive of Russia. All right. Well, you know, he, that lie kept going under the, the radar. Uh, Germany only uses uh, 13% of their energies on natural gas. That doesn't sound like a captive. And I believe only 9% comes from the Russian pipeline. Yeah, that doesn't really sound like a, a captive. It sounded like a more of a I'm no puppet, you're the puppet moment from, uh, from Donald. Um, and that's just, that's just a, a few of the many. I mean, he, he's out on a mission to undermine the, the Western uh, liberal world order. Uh, and it's eerily timed right before he goes and meets the man who interfered with right. American democracy to help him get elected. Yeah, and I think, you know, people joke about uh, Trump going to Putin to get his performance review. <laughs> I mean, when you see a, a performance like he just did in Brussels, it doesn't seem so far-fetched, you know, because these are the things... You know, again, going back into the history and the role of NATO, which he consistently misrepresents, it has kept the peace in Europe for seven decades. It has kept the peace, the the post-World War II order, in in a rock-solid place for seven decades. It outlasted the Warsaw Pact, you know? Mm -hmm. It... um, and, and And if we were to somehow withdraw from NATO, or NATO collapses, God forbid, you're gonna have an arms race on the peninsula, or on the continent, that is going to be incredibly disruptive. And guess what? Without the threat of Article 5, Putin can move into places like Belarus and Estonia, you know? And then we could find ourselves in a land war in Europe for the first time since NATO was created to prevent that very thing. So basically, like the usual happened when Trump leaves the country. He lied, he insulted some of our foreign leaders and some of our uh, allies, and then he took credit for some things that he didn't do while pushing interests which we know are aligned with Russian interests. That pretty much nails this down. Uh, he went out there and, like, the, the take credit for things he didn't do part uh, is he said, Hell well, um, NATO nations have agreed to increase their defense commitment to 2% of GDP uh, because of his tremendous negotiating tactics, according to him, apparently. But they had already agreed to do that in 2014. And we're already working towards that. Right. And he claimed that that was his, you know, big win. And even after he said, he said, oh, NATO um, is going to do more than the 2%. He wouldn't give specifics. And then Emmanuel uh, Macron, the, the French president, pushed back and said that wasn't the case. Um, so, yeah, that bromance is definitely over. Yeah, the bromance is dead. And, you know, we put this even in further context. I mean, 
this comes after Trump blew up the G7 and apparently reportedly through Starburst and Angela Merkel, German Chancellor saying, um, don't say I don't ever give you anything, which is completely disrespectful and you know, disgusting. But um, he levied tariffs against our allies. He uh, just insulted everyone at the G7 summit. And it's just so and that was while he was doing that, he was cozying up to Kim Jong-un. Um, and not to mention why it's the G7. You know, one of the things that, that Trump tried to claim in his ridiculous press conference at the end of the summit was that Crimea was taken by Putin under Obama's watch. Well, guess what? That's where the sanctions came from. That's why Russia was kicked out of the G8. And here we have Putin saying that, or uh, Trump saying that he wants Putin back into the G7. So it's it's a complete mismatch. Like his his everything that he is saying contradicts itself. You know, he's talking about cutting back on uh, the United States contributions. What that means is he wants to cut defense spending. You know, like our our the United States defense spending, which is completely in opposition to what he's run on as president this entire time. Exactly, and this this. Yeah, I mean, and not to mention, I mean, this, uh, what he's doing at the NATO summit, NATO has benefited the U.S. I mean, our investments in NATO pay off. He sees everything as transactional. He doesn't see diplomacy as long-term investments you need to make in order to maintain a global order and maintain um, global influence. And look, when's the only time Article 5 was invoked? 9-11. By the United States. And... And that just that tells you everything you need to know about what NATO. Our allies came to our defense. The the NATO is one of the most important Western um, alliances that there is. The only and you just have to think about this in context. The only person, well, of course, uh, Xi Jinping benefits as well over there in China. But this directly plays into Putin's hands. There's really no other reason to try to attack this alliance. Um, you have to question why is he using harsher language towards their own allies, as opposed to Kim Jong-un, as opposed to Vladimir Putin, who today, um, this is Thursday, by the way, um, the day of his press conference at NATO, and he said Putin wasn't his enemy. Mm-hmm. I recall another group of uh, individuals or institution that uh, he happened to say were the enemy of the American people and the country's biggest enemy, and I think it's the media, as us. Um, and you go ahead and say Putin the man who murders journalists, the man who interfered in American democracy, the man who um, laid out a nerve agent on UK soil. That is that killed someone just last week, and just today someone uh, got got ill from the Novichok um, chemical weapon. Exactly. And apparently that uh, authoritarian leader is not the enemy, but the American press that reports the truth diligently every day is. So that tells you everything you need to know about who Donald Trump is. He's cozying up to a man that shot down a civilian airliner. And he's doing all this cozying up while his 2016 campaign is under investigation by special counsel Mueller for potentially colluding with Russia to win the 2016 election. Let's just remember that point. Yeah, <laughs> it's an important point. Uh, and and the, now um, there's another component that we won't dive too much into here. Save that for a whole other pod. But aside from the uh, collusion during the campaign, there was that there, uh, a series of exclusive parties with Russian oligarchs that he had at the, uh, after his inauguration. Um, and then $100 million that came into his inaugural committee, much of which is unaccounted for, um, and, and no one knows the source, and Mueller's di- digging into that as well. I think that this Russia investigation, which now we know is multifaceted, that includes Saudi Arabia and other uh, foreign nationals that tried to give uh, the Trump uh, campaign aid, 
it's going to become about what has happened since he's become president as well. Mm -hmm. Because there's been, Putin said he talks to Trump uh, constantly over the phone. Which is crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, you know, Trump doesn't want to be on speaking terms with our our closest allies. It's like he's trying to rebuild the, you know, post-World War II order, but we're the Axis powers. Like, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Right. I mean, he's completely glossing over the whole Cold War aspect of things. And And yes, we're not dealing with the Soviet Union. We're not. And they're not as big as a threat as they were to the the United States. But what Trump has done is has been more destructive to NATO that than several Soviet premiers. You know, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that the destabilization of NATO is Russia's number one foreign policy goal. You know, and it, and it's and it's it's backed up by their by their activities when they invaded Georgia and South Ossetia at the end of uh, George W. Bush's term. That's Putin sending a message: I want to expand. I want to reclaim the old Soviet Union. When he annexed Crimea, for a while it looked like he may go all the way and and try to annex Ukraine. You know, yeah. so we're talking about an expansionist Putin who wants to reclaim that glory of the Soviet Union, and who arguably pulled off the greatest intelligence operation of all time with the Donald Trump campaign. Exactly. And, and just to expand on that a little bit, um, you know, before we move on to the next topic, which also happens to be relevant to this, um, is one of the other main objectives within this scope is the lifting of sanctions. Now, um, Russia's economy is very, it's very small right now, um, mm-hmm. you know, about the size of Italy's yeah. smaller, I believe. And... It's not doing well. And but what they're great at is espionage, um, coordinated propaganda. Um, they're incredible with the, uh, on the Internet and pushing influence. And that's why uh, Putin has been trying to append uh, Western democracies by, you know, manipulating the electorate within them. And that's what he's that's what he's been doing this whole time. And speaking of Western sanctions on that point, once Trump got in there. First week, they try to unilaterally lift the sanctions. Now, if that's not I mean, suspicious. even be, even before they took even before he put his hand on the Bible, you had Michael Flynn calling Sergey Kislyak and saying, "Hold up on responding to Obama's additional sanctions." You know, like the, the sanctions are going to be ripped up; they'll be gone. You know, so we we have evidence to the to the moment that he won this uh, election that they were aiming to to uh, get rid of sanctions. I mean, think about how long it took them to even uh, sign the veto-proof package that Congress sent him, you know? And he didn't even fully implement that. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, specifically didn't target the oligarchs, which is how you harm Russia. You target the oligarchs. And one of those said oligarchs was one of the people that attended some of the most exclusive inaugural events in the United States. Exactly. I mean, we're talking about the inaugural lunch where high-ranking U.S. officials can't even get invites to. And random Russians are getting invited invited to one of the most, you know, sanctified traditions in America? It just... It, all, yeah, it's completely fine. And according to Republican <laughs> voters, Russia should be our friend. And speaking of that, you know, just going to pivot towards, you know, the, the next topic of Peter Strzok, but in the middle there's the whole... A Republican effort to not only cover up but help with one of uh, Vladimir Putin's other goals, which is to undermine Americans' faith in their institutions, which Donald Trump and the Republican Party, specifically, especially the House GOP, have done in spades. Now, uh, before we 
touched specifically on Peter Strzok, we have to mention the July 4th um, hoorah <laughs> that the Senate Republicans had in Moscow. They partied with none other than Sergei Chinyak. I'm sorry, I had to, I had to do it. <laughs> Sergei Kislyak um, and Sergei Lavrov, who happened to meet with Trump the day after he fired Comey, and Trump told them, I took, uh, I fired Nutjob Comey, FBI director, because uh, now, now the Russia's take, the Russia right. pressure is taken this off. The cloud is off me. The cloud is off him. And then, not to mention, as Adam pointed out, Kislyak uh, spoke with Michael Flynn. He also met with Jeff Sessions, and also at the Mayflower Hotel in April 2016, where there was a report that seemed to go away that no one's talked about of a potential oh, private meeting between Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law, Donald, and now Attorney General Jeff Sessions. But of course, we won't dive into all that just yet. But the Senate Republicans went to July 4th. They had a hoorah. And then they, they essentially capitulated to uh, the Russians. And then now we have, here at home, while Trump's abroad about to hit the Russian summit, the Peter Strzok hearing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Following this hearing today was like watching a really, really angry colony of bees, like, freak out. But instead, it was just a bunch of freaked out Republicans in the House Judiciary. Bees is the exact right... <laughs> like, that's an analogy for this, because that's, that's what they look like. I mean, they were freaking out. So, just to, you know, get everybody on the same page... Uh, F, former FBI agent Peter Strzok, who still current FBI agent, current, but soon yeah. to be former, soon to be former. Who, yeah, he his anti-Trump text messages, which he also had anti-Clinton, anti-Bernie um, text messages as well, um, have been become Republicans' main talking point to try to undermine the uh, Robert Mueller's investigation. So there was a hearing today uh, in front of the House and Judiciary and Select Committee, and it was insane. I mean. Republicans just continued their efforts to undermine the investigation, and they made a complete fool of themselves. It was an absolute... This hearing was one of the... First of all, one of the nastiest things I've ever seen in politics. And politics is a dirty game. This really took the cake. I don't think we've seen something like this in Congress since the McCarthy hearings back in the 50s. I mean, talk about witch hunt. What happened today on the Hill was a witch hunt. Peter Strzok was, t- was brought before Congress to serve as a prop while Republicans gave five-minute speeches berating him, assailing his character, and totally uh, ignoring the, the actual national security threats that face this nation to provide B-roll for Fox News to, to try to prove that Peter Strzok was uncooperative because the FBI told him not to reveal information about an ongoing investigation which was the cardinal sin that James Comey broke. You know, that was the the whole thing is mind-blowing. The whole theory is that Strzok was so biased against Donald Trump that he would do anything to destroy his candidacy and eventually his presidency. Well, the man had information about the investigation that could have destroyed Donald Trump's candidacy. He, very, he could have picked up the phone and called one reporter, and it would have been done. It would have been done. If anything about this investigation leaked during the campaign, it would have completely neutralized the, the Hillary Clinton emails situation. Because you would have had, now, a collusion with a foreign power, a foreign hostile power, 
in the headlines every single day. Instead, what did the FBI and Strzok testify to today? They said that they actually downplayed the existence of an investigation into the Trump campaign's contacts with, with Russia and Russian interference to the press. So the, the, the premise that Strzok's biases were, were, were so overwhelming that he was trying to damage the Trump campaign just doesn't ring true because he did nothing in his actions Damaged the Trump campaign. Nothing. Not a whiff of this investigation came out until months after the president was elected. So it doesn't make sense. I mean, I don't really, I don't even know where we, like, begin unpacking this. Like, you you spelled it out very perfectly, Adam. The logic that the argument that is being made here by Republicans is so unsound and so full of falsehoods that I can barely follow it. It's such a convoluted attempt to politicize this investigation, which is interesting because that's exactly what Trump accuses Democrats of doing with um, Mueller's investigation into possible collusion and into other things. But what's actually happening is we're seeing members of the GOP participate in, in an extremely interesting performance art of doing the exact thing Trump has been saying the Democrats are doing. They are the ones that are trying to politicize this hearing. They're the ones that are trying to undermine an actual investigation because of their own partisan meanings. And it's, it's mind-boggling, but it was also absolutely wild to watch as a political catastrophe today, in my opinion. It, it really was. And, and we have to mention where, when this hearing totally went off the rails. And it's when, when Louis Gohmert basically brought up Strzok's affair and said, "Did you do you lie to your wife so convincingly?" Yeah, and there was people. There was an eruption in 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 the uh, in the audience. I mean, you heard cries of just go back to the McCarthy days of have you no, no decency. Yes, that was a have you no decency moment for the 21st century. And, I mean, and someone asked if Gomer had uh, taken his exactly. Right. Someone, you know, it was it was primetime TV. I mean, um, and one of the uh, people uh, cried out, "Have you taken your medication today?" Uh, <laughs> It was absurd. And, you know, just the indecency with which the GOP is willing to, uh, the lengths at which they're willing to go, um, it's, it's startling. Like, and just to, put, to state this for what it really is, here we are talking about Peter Strzok's text messages, which are, everyone has political opinions. It's not, that's protected under the right. Constitution. Where, where he erred is using his, his FBI device to air these things. Yeah. And, and you know, we're not, talk, we're not sitting here talking about the political biases of the New York field office that leaked stuff to Giuliani. So, I mean, what, what this really is, is while the Russian government, which is continuing to interfere in United States democracy, they still have troll farms deployed. They're still doing their thing ahead of the midterms. They still have agents stateside. I they mean. still have agents stateside as the, you know, back when Tillerson lifted some, uh, some visa support for some Russians they came in. Mm-hmm. But this is a coordinated effort by the GOP, Donald Trump, to undermine and obstruct an investigation into Russian interference and potential collusion. And the evidence of collusion is there. And we're seeing des- what we saw today was desperate Republicans who the, the House is, is consists of some of the most, uh, you know, intemperate, indecent human beings that that could have ever been elected to the office. I'm just going to be frank. And, oh, I, yeah. and I've never seen anything like uh, I've never seen so, so uh, many individuals so hellbent on wanting to subvert their own democracy. Uh, for instance, Trey Gowdy, <laughs> who was lecturing Peter Strzok on bias, 
Uh, I just wanted to, you know, self-plug a tweet I sent earlier, just that specifically described what what this what this guy was doing. It was like listening to uh, alcoholic with a beer in his hand uh, lecture <laughs> lecture an individual on why sobriety is important. I mean, hearing him go after struck on how bias is important was was abs- uh, not having bias in investigations was honestly absurd. Because of what he did with the Benghazi hearing that came up with nothing after years of, of probing Hillary Clinton. And which Kevin McCarthy actually came out because this man does not know how to keep the quiet parts quiet. Said that the Benghazi hearings did a wonderful job of damaging Hillary Clinton's approval ratings. He gave the game away, you know. And this is Trey Gowdy, a bunch of biased dudes. Yes, they are biased. They're partisans. You are a partisan when you're in Congress. But they are ostensibly commi- performing an investigation. And and you mean to tell us that their biases aren't getting in the way here? Yeah, I mean, they were... I mean, an attack on America used to be a nonpartisan thing, yeah. you know? I, like, this behavior, you know, Re- Representative uh, Watson Coleman, uh, a quote from her today, she said, I have never seen my colleagues so angry, so out of control, and so desperate to protect a president that we all know is unfit for office. I mean, that is the most searing comment that you can imagine coming from... Uh, a member of Congress to her colleagues that are sitting on the dais with her. You know, uh, but, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, he, he made it really clear. Peter Strzok was there for one reason, to serve as a major distraction from the investigation. Uh, and he called them adequately and aptly, I think, the cover-up caucus. They needed a public enemy. Peter Strzok is it. You know, they found, they found the one little scintilla of possible misconduct, and they have turned it into a circus a genuine circus out of that desperation to derail this investigation into one of the most serious espionage cases in this country's history if not the most serious i know i shouldn't be surprised by it anymore at this point in in our political atmosphere but i i don't think i will ever stop being shocked at the length to which these republicans and these members of the gop will go to work against protecting their constituents and work against protecting national security and work against protecting American interests. I mean, if you wrote these characters and if you wrote their actions in a novel or a screenplay, no one would believe it because it's so unbelievably transparent. No one would publish it because it doesn't seem realistic at all. And yet, day after day, we see them continuing to double down on their stance where they're making very clear that they are not protecting the country by which they were elected to serve. Right, and exactly. Representative Gutierrez made that exact point. You know, he really shied it. He he laid into members for ignoring this attack on our democracy and focusing on things that are just not germane, frankly, to the security of the country. You know, uh, it, it's it's in, it's absolutely insane, and it's really disturbing. And and to reference uh, Gutierrez again, he said, "Kremlin, this was another good day for you." It, yeah, it, and it. Exactly, and you know, I love. I like to point to something that FBI, uh, former FBI Director James Comey, said about how Russia hacked the uh, RNC servers, but never released the information. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not uh, assuming anything or alluding anything, but the way in which that they're acting is beyond comprehension. Now, unless, I mean, it's. I, I, I'm aware that they are fearful of their constituents because they are Trump supporters who are gaslit by Fox News, whose role in this. Is, is beyond corrosive, the, the cancer that they are in our democracy. Um, if you only watch Fox News, you think Russia is our friend. 
you think the DOJ is a bigger enemy than Kim Jong-un? And that the deep state now includes uh, a wrestling team in Ohio. Apparently, yeah, because uh, Representative Jim Jordan, who's on the Freedom Caucus and was at the hearing today, um, he claimed, uh, or Matt, Matt Gates as well, they're, they're pushing a narrative that the deep state is pushing the um, Ohio State University. Sexual misconduct. Sexual misconduct allegations. Yeah. Like they, the, it's, it's insane. And, and what's worse than all of this and the people doing it is the people applauding and the people who are believing this. And it's really concerning because if you just take a step back, if you listen to this, um, you know, if you watch Fox News, you're only going to get one, one picture of this. And what they're, they're actively distorting facts. They're actively pushing this narrative that we're discussing here, um, that the deep state's out to get President Trump, when there is evidence that their campaign was offered help by the Russians and they were aware of it. They didn't report it to the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, they had that meeting in Trump Tower, which Donald Trump's a micromanager. There's no way Trump Jr. didn't tell him. He got a, a call from an unlisted number within moments of the meeting ended. And it, we know that Trump uses an unlisted number. And all of this is happening in, before our eyes. And there's just one uh, news network that is just creating an alternate reality while Vladimir Putin is toasting. They, they, they literally popped champagne yeah. when Donald Trump won. They actually had a party and popped champagne. And one of the Russian governors said it looks like, um, you know, the mother Russia won, won the election in the United States. That was an it was a quote. The on Russian, on Russian state party. TV regularly, they say he's ours. You know, they just... In, it's a hidden thing at all. They're very upfront about it. It's not something that they're trying to play down or this is whispered in circles. This is on state TV that we're talking about. Right. And it's and it's happening in broad daylight, and and that's what's so concerning because you know I mean I know as we move closer to the midterms, uh, you know the Americans are gonna are gonna be more uh, tuned in to what's going on and be ready to take this to the ballot box. But 2018, I mean the the people you saw in the hearing today, they're up for re-election. It's two-year terms. Mm-hmm. Get them out. It's depravity, and this isn't. It's it's time for uh, media companies which they did with the child separation, to no longer try to play both sides just because someone has a Republican um, label or a Democratic label. This is American democracy here. These are objective facts. This is a party that is, exec- regardless if you think there was collusion preemptively, it is indisputable that the Republican Party is executing on one of our foreign adversaries' greatest goals, which is to dismantle every week after week uh Polling about Robert Mueller's approval goes down. Polling about the FBI goes down. Faith in our institutions is decreasing rapidly because the President of the United States is tweeting it and the Republican Party is enabling it. To what end? From Mitch McConnell, he can continue to get tax cuts. Honestly, I, I said this the other day when I was talking, talking to Remy, like, I do not understand. I understand Thanos from the Avengers <laughs> uh, goals. More than I understand Mitch McConnell's because it's so short-sighted. Unless you plan on dying in twenty years, what do you? Where does this go, man? Right. Like, where does this go? You, you, you're subverting democracy. Climate change is coming. Um, there's all these issues that are approaching right now. And what does this get you? It gets them Brett Kavanaugh in the Supreme Court for the next fifty years. But for what? For That's what? Their That's, their right That's their legacy. That's all they care about. Really, the number one goal of these people is they will turn a blind eye to everything, no matter how unpatriotic it is, to stack the judiciary with with people that are fire-breathing conservatives. And that is Donald Trump's legacy. That's Mitch McConnell's legacy. And it's something that we, as Americans, will be paying for for decades. 
It is an incredibly depressing thought. And to stop this in its tracks, the only way to stop this in its tracks, there is one chance to do it, and that's this November. Sometimes, sometimes the issues that we talk about in our political ideology are very murky and gray and complex because we as a country are complex and compromise of a large group of individuals. But when we get to this, it's, it's not complex anymore. There are people that are protecting democracy, who are protecting American people, and there are people that are actively working to undermine it and actively working to promote interests that are not of the people that elected them. And that's really what it comes down to. And it comes down to it not just for us. It comes down to it for the future of our nation, for our children, for our children's children. Just like Adam said, the opportunity for us to change that is in November. And we have to, we have to come out in a way that is so overwhelming that what Fox News is doing, what Russia is still trying to do to our democracy, cannot compete with the numbers that we bring to the midterm election. You're absolutely right. It needs to be a tsunami. And I was, I was actually talking to Ahmed right before we started recording that a lot of things about this year remind me of 2006. Um, you know, back in 2006, uh, on the heels of the worst tragedy that our country had faced since World War II uh, in the form of 9-11, Republicans were very much convinced that they had a permanent majority in Congress, that their grip on power was unshakable. And that really gave them, in those years that they controlled Congress during the Bush administration, an arrogance to to push the limit in ways that the American people finally got fed up with. And they and while I, I do remember a lot of people predicting a Dem takeover in 2006, no one saw the wave coming. As, or, or the magnitude of the wave that was coming. And I don't think, I, 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 right now, I really do believe a wave is coming. I, I truly do believe it, especially in the House. The Senate is, is I would say, worse than 50-50, if we're going to be completely honest. But the House looks like it's, it's within, the, within, within reach. And still, because of gerrymandering, because of all of the fuckery that Republicans have been doing to this country for, for the last 50 years, Democrats have to run up the numbers to like plus seven, you know, they have to, a slim win is not good enough. It has to, it has to be an overwhelming win. They need to be drowned in blue. And that is the only thing, the only thing that I believe may start to break the fever. Because after 2006, you saw a very uh, chastised GOP, a very, uh, you know, they were very humbled in 2006 to the point where they were talking about climate change and they were talking about healthcare and they were actually talking about issues and they and and really it, it stayed that way throughout the 2008 campaign until John McCain announced the name Sarah Palin as a pick and that unleashed yeah. a a wave of grievance and hatred that is that has propelled Donald Trump to the White House and that really explains a lot of what we're seeing in terms of the behavior from congressional Republicans today. Exactly. I mean, there is that. I mean, Donald Trump still maintains that 90 percent of the Republican Party support. But what people aren't talking about is the fact that the GOP is shrinking. Yep. Because people who don't support Trump are leaving. And and I, and I agree. And I'm, I'm very optimistic about this because personally, I think um, the level I believe America is more is overwhelmingly decent. Um, as opposed to what Donald Trump believes that um, Americans are um, stupid and uh, depraved, clearly, because uh, there's that twenty or so percent that's you know supported the child separation, um, but there's always that twenty or so percent. That's all he's got. 
Now there are 45% of Americans that didn't vote who were eligible in 2016. And what and they're watching on the sidelines, they're on vacation currently and they're seeing what's happening and they all know Donald Trump's a liar. Everyone knows that. Even his supporters know it. They just think he's lying for some greater good of bringing, you know, back white America or something. But um I believe that the decent will rise. The decent have been activated. We are seeing surges in protest, activism a level that is unprecedented from the youth. A registration advantage that is, is really unprecedented. He's losing millennials. Uh, the polling, I mean, if, especially with, you know, just various tar- targets towards uh, women's rights and women's reproductive health and, uh, and health care in general. While the Republicans are running on deep state conspiracy, MS-13 is also uh, in the streets trying to get you, even though their nationwide membership is um, only 10,000 members, which is about 1% of entire gang membership in the U.S. And um, they don't cross the border. They're American-founded. Um, there's that fear-mongering going on while Democrats on the ground are running on health care. And they're running on um, putting more money in your pockets. They're running on trying to increase the minimum wage. They're running on uh, issues basic that matter. kitchen table issues that matter to average Americans, that matter to middle-class and lower-class Americans. And I think what we saw in Virginia mm-hmm. is, you no, know, people weren't expecting it to be as big. They thought, you know, Gillespie could play to... Fear, I mean, right now, fear, you know, is, is one thing, but I guarantee you most Americans are more worried about putting food on their tables than MS-13 creeping in their houses. And with Donald Trump um, really doubling down on immigration and he wants that to be his thing, I think it's, I think it's a failure. I, I really believe that um, people are under polling just like we did with Northam, just like it did in Alabama, just like it's done everywhere. Polling is underestimating the surge we're going to see. Yeah, I, I, I do think that we're having a bit of a non-response bias across polling in general because, guys, it's 2018. Nobody picks up an unknown number, yeah. you know? Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's a, a conversation for another day. But that may indicate that polling is... is There's a major flaw in polling right now. Um, although it's still very, very good. You know, yeah. let, let, let's not be wrong or, you know, fascistic or, or uh, hyperbolic. Polling in 2016 was good. You know, people try to say that it was it was it was terrible in 2016. No, it predicted Hillary Clinton would be the popular vote winner, and she was. She won by three million healthy votes. Um, but yeah, I think you're right, Ahmed, and I think that um, I th- I think that we are going to see somewhat of a wave. Um, but I do think that Republicans are going to really hold on to a lot of their seats because of the gerrymandering that we have here, and because of the fact that a good portion of the population that 20 percent 25 percent the the you know basically the 25 percent that stuck with bush until the the final days i mean even nixon yeah. right before he uh resigned from office i think he had 22 percent approval rating um but because they live in an ecosystem like you like you like to say a lot that is completely walled off it's so they're in completely in a bubble and those people are ungettable but the people that are living in districts suburban districts like the ones that carried northam into the governor's mansion the 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 display from from republicans is a huge turnoff i mean we've seen that in specials across the the country over the last year you know this this fear-mongering non-policy-based grievance-based politics it just doesn't work in those suburban districts i mean they can't even and the thing is the one policy achievement that they have the tax plan they can't even run on it because it's so damn unpopular you know, it, it received a, a slight bump at the beginning of the year before people realized that it was just a payoff to the rich. I mean, we have reports of a, a GOP congressman who bought a yacht the day that the <laughs> that the tax bill passed. Oh, man. And that's the thing. 
And that's, you know, before we transition to the next topic here, I mean, that's the thing right there. With this optics, I mean, they really, and this is just, I mean, it's my personal opinion, but I, I do believe that it's accurate. The Republican Party and the leader in leadership, they really, really underestimate the intelligence of the American people, and they really think very low of them. I mean, for Mitch McConnell to display the hypocrisy he does day in and day out, and for Donald Trump to blatantly lie to the faces of millions of Americans, and for Republicans to buy a yacht right after they get the tax plan, or for Donald Trump to go meet with, with Putin right after you know attacking NATO, and just these this brazen... Uh, you know, they just expect Fox News to just carry them because the Fox News ignores various stories and they really underestimate the intelligence of American people. And I think that they're smart and I think that they're decent. And I think the broad majority will come up and they're going to surprise everybody come 2018 uh, midterms. And hopefully uh, it shocks the GOP to recognize, hey, maybe we shouldn't be protecting uh, a, a man who is just financially benefiting from the presidency. Uh, who was uh, helped by foreign nationals mm-hmm. um, and inserted to do uh, not um, America's best interest, uh, clearly. Right. And if you're sitting at home and if you're wondering what you can do, sign up to make calls for Bill Nelson. Sign up yeah. to make calls for Jackie Rosen in, in Nevada. Sign up to make calls for Tammy Baldwin. You know, like we sign up to make calls for 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 Donnelly, for Joe Donnelly in Indiana. I mean, the, we are defending in the Senate so many seats, you know, and that's just because we did so well in, in, in midterms past winning seats in red states that we probably shouldn't have won that Democrats probably should not have won. But if you're wondering and if you're feeling desperate and you're feeling hopeless on the on the heels of, of, of a day like today, which was so disgraceful uh, in the United States Congress and, and a week like last week where we or it feels like every week's a year, you know, where Brett Kavanaugh was announced to be the next uh, Supreme Court it justice. It was that was Monday. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You know, so if you're feeling hopeless, how young we were. Yeah. Um, if there's one thing that you can do, volunteer for these candidates that are, that that need help, that need money. If you can spare money, donate. If you can spare your time, if you don't have the, 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 the means to do it, it costs nothing to make a phone call. I'll just I'll add one thing on to what Adam's saying there because I absolutely agree with it. That 20 to 25 percent that we're talking about, that extremist 20 to 25 percent, they're very loud. But the Democrats on the ground, the ground game that we are seeing in special elections that we are seeing in early primaries, that's got stamina. And if you can volunteer your time or your money or whatever you have to contribute to that stamina on the ground, that's how we change things. Well said. Well said, Remy. And, you know, to add just one final thing on that before we move on to the next topic, which also is very important. Um, it's just, you know, if, if you can't get out there and volunteer, which, you know, you should and you've, you've got, you know, you're working, you know, nine to five, and you're too busy. And, you know, just take the time to try to at least. Uh, inform that neighbor. Um, if you've got a Trump supporter, if you've got people in your life who are on, on you know, who aren't aware exactly of uh, what's going on day to day, and kind of like try to equivocate between the Democrats and the Republicans, or they're still on that both parties are corrupt thing. Inform them. Send them an article. Um, you know, let let try to spread as much truth as you can. Because right now we're at a there. I mean, there's a, a legitimate war between truth and disinformation. There's warring realities here, and. Um, just try your best to spread as much truth as possible and decency and uh, get out there in 2018 and later this year and make sure 
to make your voice heard because it might be one of the last shots we got yep. um, before uh, to hold Trump accountable until 2020. Yeah, and, and to your point, you know, I know we want to move on, but to your point, one of again, one of Putin's major goals, one of Russia's major goals is to sow discord within the United States and to uh, reduce the trust that we have as Americans in our institutions. And yes, no politician is perfect. Nobody is going to align with you 100% of the time. But if you want to check on this president, you have to give Congress over to the Democrats. You have to do it. Having a divided government is the only way that this out-of-control group of people can be chastened. That's it. That is the only thing that they can do. And, and unfortunately, like they did in the Peter Strzok hearing today, Republicans are helping to advance those goals of uh, undermining re- uh, respect in, in our institutions, whether it's our political parties or whether it's our, our law enforcement agencies. Again, none of those institutions are perfect. None of these people are perfect. But we'll never get perfect. You have to, you have to grab onto as close as you can to decency and put it in office so we can have a check on this out-of-control party and out-of-control executive branch. 100%. This is... a. Uh... Yeah, this is decency versus depravity, truth versus deceit. Right. This is culture of corruption. Culture of corruption versus uh, you know economic freedom. This is uh, democracy versus wannabe authoritarianism, and those are the facts. And history is watching every single one of us. And I know it may you know you're living your day to day lives, um, and we are we are. We are very passionate about this, as you can hear from this podcast, as well recalls rant. Um, but just try to try to focus and keep your eye on the ball and never lose hope, because no matter what happens, if we stay vigilant, stay politically activated, we can take the power in our hands, reshape the government, our image post Trump. And the way to get to post Trump is to remain vigilant now. Now, speaking of vigilance, a story that we need to continue to highlight we want to add a status update on here for, for our listeners. Um, we, we covered on this pod almost pretty much every single time. The last episode was uh, primarily focused on it. So as we know, the Trump administration still has nearly 3,000 immigrant children that they took from their uh, migrant parents in their, uh, in their custody. HHS has them, and they missed the deadline to reunite uh, what was 102 separated migrant children under the age of five that are currently in uh, American government custody. It's still hard to even read these sentences. Um, and that was on Monday. That was uh, this past Monday, and the Trump administration failed to meet it. They only reunited 38. Um, some, they claimed, were parents were ineligible to uh, receive the kids. And, you know, this as allegations of abuse continued to mount, um, including a, a heart-wrenching BuzzFeed report about migrant women who were having miscarriages in ICE custody, uh, who were left to bleed out, as they, you know, the pro-life party uh, that is currently governing let these children, uh, what would-be children, uh, miscarry. We have to keep a focus on this because the, the next deadline to reunite the remaining 3,000 children um, that, the America, that Donald Trump has in his custody that they took for deterrence with no plans to return them uh, is approaching on July 26th. And it doesn't look like they're going to meet it. So how, how do you... How do you guys feel about the way the Trump administration has handled this uh, situation? I mean, every every time every time something new breaks in the story, every time that there's an update on it, it just gets worse and worse, and it shows 
in an even clearer way how it's so obvious that the Trump administration had no plan to reunite these kids and their parents. They had no plan at all. They did not even consider for one second the humanity of this. I mean, I I don't even have to, but I stick to my stomach at the thought of the separation of children from their parents and the horrors that that must that you must go through if you're in that situation. So to just be reminded again and again that this administration didn't plan for how they were going to reunite these kids, they never even thought about it, is just really, really disgusting to me. And what I want to know is they failed to meet this deadline. What happens now? Are they held accountable for it? Laws only laws and agreements like this, they only matter if people are held accountable for them, if they're promoted. So if if nothing if they're not held accountable for missing this deadline, what's to say that they won't miss the next deadline? How do we make sure that this depravity and this horrible situation is in some way rectified? Yeah, and, and that's, the, that's the key question here. I mean, um, it doesn't look like they're going to meet the next deadline, given the fact that they apparently are reportedly destroyed records. of They had apparently record-keeping of the families that they separated, and then they destroyed the records, which... I mean, if there's, do you need any more indication that they did not plan on returning the children that they took from the parents? Um, that you don't need any more indication than that. And the question that arises is, how do we continue to hold them accountable? Um, we, we keep making noise. Uh, we, we protest. We, the Donald Trump caved to pressure with the executive order. Yeah. Um, and there are other court rulings that uh, recently occurred. The, you know, there are parts of the judiciary, aside from the Supreme Court, which we're about to get to, that are functioning properly. And... Uh, um, this past Monday, actually, a judge rejected the Trump administration's request to long-term detainment. They were trying to, um, you know, amend the Flores settlement, which means, you know, the, the migrant children couldn't be detained for longer than 20 days. And the judge said no. Because what the what Trump administration was planning, what they had the Navy and the military creating indefinite internment camps, a space for 100,000 Migrants. This was going to become, I mean, in, unless maybe they try to disobey the court order now, we don't know. Let's hope that they that they move forward with it. But it was indefinite internment that we were going to have here in the United States of, of these migrants that you could have uh, released with uh, ankle bracelets, which it looks like they're about to get to get back to that, thankfully. But the, the fact that the Trump administration, let's just talk about it for what it is. They were trying to roll up the base. They were trying to put a deterrent on the southern border so that Asylum seekers who traveled um, thousands of miles for the American dream um, wouldn't come. Trump keeps obfuscating it, calling them MS-13, but it's a it's a campaign strategy um, yeah. that Stephen Miller is 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 also one of his Trump's advisors that's pushing, and it's disgusting. And they're playing to a depraved part of the base that um, says when they read these stories, oh, well, you know, shouldn't have came over illegally if uh, it, it's just. I mean, we got to the point where they said that that uh, you know Trump's spiritual advisor said that uh, Jesus Christ wouldn't have been the Messiah if he would have entered Egypt illegally, as if. <laughs> oh my <I> mean, god! <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's that's the 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 pretzel logic that we're working with here, just so Trump can say that he can claim victory on immigration like an and run on it. It's ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. Um, and it's 2018, so that's that says a lot. Um, but you're right. This was this is an ongoing manufactured humanitarian crisis. This is not something that needed to happen. This is a this is a policy 
which we have now roundly established via the courts and the statements from administration officials themselves, that never needed to be instituted, that was cruel, unusual, that the United Nations has, has labeled a, a crime, frankly. Crime against humanity here. Yeah. Um, and like you said, Ahmed, it, it was a purely cynical move that affected the lives of thousands of people just so Trump can claim victory on his immigration promises that he made in the 2016 campaign and something for Republicans to run on in 2018. And it's so stupid. I'm it's just, so It's dumb. so dumb because American people, you know, let's and just it's put... it's evil. It's, it's evil and it, it's a dumb strategy as well because uh, people, voters aren't going to mobilize for this because they're concerned about putting food on the table, but also how evil and depraved it is over a fake issue. Just quickly, got to talk about this every time we talk about immigration because Donald Trump... Um, stole the immigration narrative the moment he went down those uh, golden uh, escalators and announced his uh, candidacy when he said it, oh, media reported on it as, oh, he's running on immigration when he called uh, Mexicans rapists. And um, the point is, immigration is at a 46-year low. Uh, There aren't, there isn't a a crisis at the border. These, everyone that's coming, the broad, you know, the the wild majority, they're, they're, they're not... Criminals. These are families, asylum seekers from violence-plagued Central American nations who are seeking um, the country that has. I say this all the time. I'm gonna remind the Statue of Liberty. I mean, give me your tired, your poor, um, your yearning to breathe free. And they come and they had their children just taken out of their hands, and then they're put in these conditions that um, we heard of a baby was returned to the mother covered in lice. Um, we're hearing that a, a one-year-old was. <laughs> arrived at court by, by, by themselves and a judge had to like pretend to, that they were actually explaining <laughs> court proceedings to a one-year-old and that's not America. And I don't care if you, you despise immigrants for some reason, they're not taking our jobs, they actually provide economic benefits. Uh, it, it's all based on a farce um, that Donald Trump wants to create a crisis and fear monger just so that he can have something to run on because he has nothing else. He has no real ideas. His only ideology is fear and bigotry. Um, and as you saw, as you see in NATO, as you've seen with everything, uh, he's just pushing a narrative that he thinks will get votes. He wants to keep power. Right. And he'll, him and his party uh, and his White House are, you know, Chris Nielsen, uh, the DHS secretary, and you know, AG Jeff Sessions are willing to do, uh, you know, they're hearing these reports. They, they know what's going on. Uh, they know more than we do. That's why they didn't let us in the detention centers, um, journalists. Because what they're doing is is criminal, human rights violations, and uh, this is also on the ballot as well, come November. It most certainly is, and and to that point, and to the the larger point, I think that exists around this is that think about what this is doing to America's brand around the world. You know, other countries are watching this. They're watching Donald Trump right now traipse through Europe, uh, and really just damaging and destroying the brand of the United States. I mean, the travel, uh, the State Department had to institute a travel notice for Americans in the UK to lay low while he's in the country because that's how much animosity Donald Trump is, 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 uh, is generating towards the United States. And it's disgraceful. The next president will have to actually go on an apology tour. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's something they... <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's, and you know, today... Just he called himself a very stable genius on the world stage, uh, and the way he said it, he said it knowing he was trolling. 
That's, oh, yeah. And, and with the look on his face, when he said this, it was disgraceful to me because of how amused he was because he thinks all of this, you know, and I've been writing, as, as you, you know, the listeners know, I've been covering the Trump presidency, you know, Rand has as well, but I've been doing this thing called the president, write about him every day. Donald Trump clearly just sees this as a game, as a personal ploy to boost his brand. He does not care about the American people. He doesn't care about those associated with him. He flips, you know, there used to be a claim he had loyalty to his associates. No, I mean, look what no. he's done to Michael Cohen. Donald Trump's only he has loyalty. No loyalty. Exactly. Zero. And his only loyalty is to himself and not America first. He's not trying to make America great again. He's trying to save the Trump brand that was all, that was going downhill since birtherism. Um, and, you know, he is just upending American democracy as we know it. And speaking of that, just just for time's sake, so we can get to the next topic here, uh, Brett Ka- Kavanaugh, uh, quite the quite the character there, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say one thing. I think Brett Ka- Kavanaugh is somebody that Jeb Bush may have chosen as a Supreme Court justice. I think Ted Cruz may have chosen him. I think any average Republican president, for the most part, would have chosen Brett Kavanaugh as a Supreme Court justice. Because Donald Trump doesn't care about legal opinions. He doesn't understand that stuff. He doesn't read. Kavanaugh was presented to him. Um, But there's a big difference now. All of those other potential presidents that I just named more than likely would not have been under a criminal investigation or would not have been the subject of a criminal investigation. Exactly. Or perhaps a target. Yeah, and you know, before we we're gonna to touch on you know the threats of Roe v. Wade by Brett Kavanaugh, the new Supreme Court appointee. But first things first is one of his his opinions, which is really stand stands out among all the other potential nominees, was that Brett Kavanaugh. You know, he he did clerk for Justice Kennedy, but before that, he worked uh, uh, you know with Ken Starr. He was uh, a stooge for the Ken Starr. Uh, special prosecutor investigation. Yeah. And they were, you know... Independent counsel. Independent counsel. And in the... Uh, he helped write the impeachment referral for Bill Clinton, uh, President Bill Clinton, and he argued broad grounds for impeaching a president at the time that even, you know, including lying this to their staff or misleading the public. And then, come 2009, this is when the, the truly troubling claim that is pertinent to the Trump administration uh, came to light. He essentially changed his tune once he started working as a, uh, you know, a George W. Bush aide and claimed that a president shouldn't even be a subject of a criminal or civil investigation because it would ill-serve the public interest. Um, he thinks that the presidency is too burdensome of a job to have the burden of an investigation, apparently, and also stated that um, you know, a president should not be indicted um, while in office. And it's just given the fact... It's almost... Donald Trump should not have been able to appoint uh, a Supreme Court justice when he's under potential criminal investigation or not potential criminal investigation. He is under criminal investigation right. for potentially uh, colluding with a foreign power uh, to steal the election and then also obstruct justice um, and cover up that crime. So the Supreme Court's going to have to rule on key decisions like the extent of presidential power, uh, rulings surrounding his pardon power, compliance with subpoenas, presidential immunity. And Trump basically just picked the judge that completes the 5-4 majority, you know, Kennedy was a swing vote, um, that would, that could potentially 
protect him just like during uh watergate nixon v supreme court was very important mm-hmm. right here we might have a potential where the president of the united states just chose you know criminal uh, people who are on a criminal investigation can't pick their judges but donald trump just did yep just like he picked the criminal uh the head of the criminal division of the fbi a person who's never prosecuted a single case in his life you know somebody who has extensive ties with with russia again yeah. You know, and that would have a, a, a big basis, uh, could have a big uh, factor in Robert Mueller's investigation. But back to Kavanaugh for a moment. Uh, Brian Butler, is, who writes for Crooked Media, came uh, d- published a great article, and I really recommend that you read it. And it's called Brett Kavanaugh's Achilles Heel. But TLDR, he basically says that we can point out hypocrisy all we want on, his, on Kavanaugh's record. Yes, he has been a very big hypocrite throughout his career. But the hypocrisy is something that that Republicans can very easily uh, uh, wave away. Just look at Mitch McConnell, essentially. Yeah. What, what Democrats should be focusing on is the fact that he is a complete reactionary, and he moves from one quote in, uh, indefensible position to another without applying any judgment whatsoever. End quote. And that is what we should be focusing on, along with Roe v. Wade and other crucial. Um, uh, judicial matters that uh, this nation faces but for democrats i think the biggest thing that they should zero in on is his poor judgment and if we're going to put somebody on the supreme court for the next three four five decades they need to have sound judgment they need to have a solid constitution small c you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. but like they really need to to be uh have consistent values and you go ahead remy Essentially, Kavanaugh represents possibly one of the worst qualities a Supreme Court justice could have, that he is reactionary, that his hypocrisy is not related to, like, general personal beliefs, which we all have. It is related to his judicial standing. He showcases poor judgment, just like you said, which is the exact opposite type of a person you want on the Supreme Court, regardless of whether or not you're a Democrat or a Republican. You literally don't want somebody who has bad judgment, who has poor judgment, who has shifting judgment, making decisions about laws that impact every citizen in this country. Yep. Yeah, you don't. And, you know, especially when... There are so many issues at stake, like pre-existing conditions, uh, civil rights, general workers' rights, which the current Supreme Court seems to be upending as well, and of course, one of the, which is probably the one that's most targeted, uh, most likely to be targeted by this uh, new Supreme Court if uh, Kavanaugh were to be the Holy Grail, Roe v. Wade. So one of the reasons we talk about Roe v. Wade so much when we're talking about Supreme Court uh, nominees and appointments is because it has been part of the Republican strategy for decades now, since the decision was really made, to overturn it, to enact it. And their judicial strategy, some of their regular campaign strategy has been based around or has centered around the idea of overturning this precedent, uh, which allows uh, which allows women to have the right to choose what to do with their own bodies. Now, the list that Kavanaugh's name came from that was that Donald Trump was given was vetted by two conservative groups, the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation, who are both committed to overturning Roe. And Donald Trump has said uh, in his campaign that if he had the opportunity to nominate a justice to the Supreme Court, he would make sure it was a justice that would overturn Roe and send the decision back to the states, which is a nice way of saying make it illegal for many women in many states to have an abortion regardless of 
uh, regardless of threats to their health, given the breakdown of some of the state legislatures. So what we know we're going to see and what activists and people who believe in a woman's right to do what she wants with her body uh, have been warning and have been worried about for a very long time is we're going to see people like moderate Republicans like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski say that they're not too sure where Kavanaugh stands on Roe v. Wade, therefore they can feel okay supporting his nomination. Now, this this is a strategy we kind of saw played around with before the name came out. And right when Kavanaugh was announced, we knew that because he had maybe not stated outright, I hate Roe v. Wade and I plan to overturn it, some wiggle room from these moderate but pro-choice Republicans and maybe even some red state Democrats. The interesting thing is, I believe I thought from the LA Times first, but Kavanaugh gave a speech last year to the American Enterprise Institute uh, on the legacy of the late Chief Justice William Rehnquist, where he called the Roe decision an example of freewheeling judicial creation of unenumerated rights and praised the fight against it. So we know exactly where this guy stands, even if even if we didn't have the vetting of the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation, even if we didn't have, like, a knowledge of what Republicans and conservatives have been trying to do regarding Roe v. Wade since it was decided, we know exactly where this guy stands on it. If he, and the, the thing that really comes up to me after that, like, beyond that whole concern, is if he believes that Roe is judicial legislation of social policy, which he disagrees with and wants to fight against, what does that mean for other decisions like Griswold or or marriage equality or other decisions mm-hmm. that could be, from that conservative point of view, considered legislation of social policy rather than, you know, an application of the 14th Amendment or whatnot? Mm-hmm. Precisely. Yeah, I, you really summed it up well. I mean, yeah. and and to the strategy that I think, you know, I, Collins is really signaling that she's a yes right now. She's she's signaling pretty hard. Yeah, she's saying just today she was saying, oh, this Democratic pressure uh, campaign against me is not going to work in Maine. And uh, so she's she's looking more and more like a yes. Um, but this isn't over yet. You know, I would say that, yeah, there's an overwhelming chance that it's likely that that Kavanaugh will be seated. But in the meantime, there are still ways that you can fight. And if you live in a state where your senators are waffling or are or if they are um, signaling that they may support uh, Brett Kavanaugh, you have to call their office. Don't tweet. Don't sign petitions. Call their offices. And it doesn't matter, you know... If you don't live in that state, if you're an out-of-state person, if you live in Virginia, don't call Susan Collins' office. They don't care about the opinions of the people that are not their constituents. But if you are a a constituent of Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski or Joe Donnelly or Heidi Heitkamp or Joe Manchin, and you care about Roe and you care about these other issues like marriage equality, civil rights, and these, these important progressive values, call their offices repeatedly tell your friends to call their offices that's the best piece of activism that you could do and former congressional staffer named ezra levin he did a uh, a a thread a few days ago that is just absolutely perfect at telling you the steps that that the the best effective way to fight this nomination and it doesn't include social media it doesn't include pressuring house members that have no voice in this it's all about calling that office so pick up the phones, people. Yep. 
because, you know, as Remy, as you, you know, so, you know, expertly touched on uh, regards to what's at stake um, with, with Kavanaugh here, we know what he believes in um, and we know how to fight him. We know that there's still a shot. We know that you can you can you can't just give up and you have to keep pushing. And another thing aside from, you know, the, the short term things we can do to fight Kavanaugh is um, just a, a recognition um, from the Democratic electorate of how important the judiciary is. Um, yes. a, a long strategy, a long time strategy of the Republicans have been to stack the judiciary and it's on the minds of the voters and. Uh, I'd say I'd pin that on Trump's win, aside from Russia and everything else. Mitch McConnell knew what he was doing when he stopped Merrick Garland. Absolutely. And almost every, every, almost every uh, allegedly sane uh, Trump supporter I spoke to uh, claimed that the Supreme Court was the main uh, driving factor behind them voting. And we need that to be on, on our end as well. And we need to prepare. So aside from, from doing that as well, you need to focus on uh, stacking the state legislators so that when, if there are Supreme Court rulings that, that come, if, if the, the strategy to stop Kavanaugh doesn't work and there are Supreme Court rulings that will, you know, let's say at the federal level make abortion uh, able to be uh, made illegal in certain states, if you flip the state legislatures, then it, then it, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect you. Right, because the fight ten, ter- turns to the state houses. The fight turns to the state houses. So that's the key. It's to participate at every single level of our democracy with your, your vision and your mind on the broader goal. Because if, if we activate at this point in time when Trump has uh, created the surge in, in political engagement among the youth and we keep everybody informed on exactly what's important, over the next uh, several decades, we can create a political movement that um, is activated to the level uh, where there are there is no more of these broad injustices where, we, where we're powerless to defend because we've we've put in the uh, the groundwork to create uh, meaningful state legislatures that can roll back gerrymandering mm-hmm. um, and stop the voter suppression that 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 uh, delegitimizes our de- democracy and we're able to have uh, judicial lifetime judicial appointments that are uh, have good judgment not based on zealot uh, religious ideology or partisanship. And the key to that is to stay engaged at every single level from the state house to your uh, congressman uh, at the federal level to the Senate. And for you to run yourself, you know, think about running yourself. Think about volunteering at the, the very the lowest level of the state because there's no every single office holder matters at this moment in democracy, especially given Trump's threats to it and Russia's efforts to undermine it. And the key is to remain engaged, stay focused and um, never give lose hope because if we let let ourselves lose hope in the midst of of all of this, then then all truly is lost. But uh, it won't be lost because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna figure it out. So on that note, um, thank you for listening uh, to today's podcast. If you, if you made it this far, you are a champion. Um, so if you want to join our conversation on on Patreon, um, we have a, a chat room on Slack where we discuss the news and break down everything. Um, so that you can discuss directly to our team and break down all the latest news. So join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rantnews with two Ts. Follow us on Twitter at Rant Media, Facebook, and subscribe on whatever you listen to your podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. So thanks again for listening. Uh, Let's hope tomorrow, next week isn't worse. Uh, Trump meets with Putin. But, hey, keep your head up, stay focused, and we'll win in the end.